0: Dr. Molnar is an internal medicine hospital-based physician who is also interested in looking for evidence of the afterlife. He's often present at the passing of patients as well as leading cold blue events where essentially a patient is dead and needs to be revived. He notes otherworldly occurrences during these happenings, and today we're going to talk about those as well as his 12 parts of a near-death experience. Dr. Molnar, thank you so much for giving me some of your time today, and welcome.
1: Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right.
0: Well, let's get right to it. Can we start with you giving us some examples of some of the otherworldly things you've seen while patients were
1: passing? Sure thing. So, you know, as internal medicine doc, we end up having to provide a lot of comfort care, comfort care is... And the life care where you're just kind of focusing on making sure people aren't suffering anymore. And you kind of stop doing all the, the traditional medical care and and uh, basically just let people pass, have the family come see them and all those kind of things. And uh, one of the situations that really always is very vivid in my memory is I had an older lady. We had decided to go ahead and make her comfort, comfort care. And she didn't actually have, I don't think her family could come in. So we were checking on her pretty regularly because she was by herself. And we had uh, made her comfort care. Um, I went, went in to check on her and I walk in the room and uh, she's looking up at the ceiling and she has these, her, her eyes are just like sparkling. and she has this big smile. Now you gotta remember, this is before I was doing what I do now with all the paranormal stuff and parapsychology and all that. I mean, I was always interested in it, but I never, I wasn't into it like I am now. So, but I just had to ask her cause she was so like, she was definitely seeing something that wasn't there. And, uh, I asked her, I'm like, what are, what are you seeing? And she's like, don't you see those angels? And I'm like, I actually looked up. I'm like, no, I don't see them, but I'll believe you. And she goes, yeah, they're right there and they're coming to get me. And I'm like, they are. And I was like, okay. And then, then a nurse came in and she was kind of amazed by the whole thing too. And me and a nurse walked out and I, I told the nurse, I'm like, I think she's going to pass pretty soon. Cause I had heard that, you know, people, when they start, you know, seeing angels or, or things like that and hear that that they're close to death. So probably in an hour or two hours after that whole experience, she ended up passing away. And, you know, I know pe- skeptical people would say, well, you know, what about oxygen and medications and all these things? And in all honesty, she really hadn't received much medication. She didn't really complain much. And, you know, just kind of faded away. You know, we weren't checking her vitals, um, but she didn't, she didn't have that impression of, you know, blue lips and all this kind of stuff. She just laying there smiling and was seeing angels. So that was to me that, pretty powerful now that I'm doing what I do with looking, you know, for signs of the afterlife and all that. So, so that was one of the experiences. You want me to tell you some more? Do you got any questions on that one? Yeah. I'd
0: like to hear some more. So this one,
1: this actually happened recently um, where where I'm working now, about a month or so ago, we decided to, uh, to make a lady come for care. And um, even though it was COVID, once we make somebody come for care, we let the family come in. For the most part, we were keeping the family out because we're kind of a long-term like a acute care place. Um, so we still take care of pretty sick people, but we make sure we, we weren't letting visitors in at the, at the height of COVID. So during this time we had actually let her son or grandson come in and she was, we decided to make her comfort care. He was staying around the clock, either him or, or the granddaughter. And I came down to check on her and, um, and, uh, she wasn't very responsive to me, but then I asked him, I'm like, out of curiosity, has she said anything as she woke up, Did she, you know, comment about anything goes, well, about an hour or so ago, she was talking to her uh, sister who had died. And then um, I think one of her kids who had died. And, and she and it, it seemed like she was really, really talking to them. <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, I, I believe it. I believe it. And then she ended up passing away, I think, within a few hours of that, too. So I didn't actually witness that myself. But that was the story that the, the grandson had told me and, and all that. So he was pretty – he was, like, a little bit taken back by it. You could tell he was a little bit rattled. He was like, yeah, I don't know she was seeing them and talking to them. So those, you know, those are basically deathbed visions. You know, people have these deathbed visions or deathbed experiences that they'll have um, right before they're going to die. And often they'll see either loved ones or religious figures. You um, a lot of times, curiously, the loved ones, deceased loved ones will come with pets for whatever reason. They'll have a deceased dog or a deceased cat with them. And it comes, it seems to, you know, help people move on to the afterlife is what we suspect. I think you said that
0: you're not always with them, but do you have any reports that when they do visit with these people, they're much more comfortable when they pass?
1: It seems like a, yeah, it seems like the, the, the experiences helped the patient to do better. You know, often by the time, like for example, in this lady's situation, you know, she was pretty out of it when she passed. So it's hard to tell. She definitely wasn't restless, you know, or agitated or anything. So she seemed comfortable, Um, the lady, I told you the first story, she definitely was very at peace and passed peacefully. So it does seem to bring comfort. Um, it also seems to help the families that are sitting at the bedside. Um, it helps them to kind of know that maybe somebody that's already deceased is coming for them. So there's actually been some studies. I don't, I can't remember the names of them, but there's been some studies that there's a doc who's a hospice doc, Mm -hmm. who's done some research and published a paper about the effects of these. Uh, deathbed experiences on the patient and on and on a the family and then it does seem to help mm-hmm. them. So the curious thing, since we're kind of talking about this is sometimes the families will experience what the patient's experiencing. Now, I haven't seen this myself, I haven't witnessed it myself, but there's stories about like a shared deathbed experience and there's been stories where you know the loved one was sitting there and you know the husband the deceased husband or wife came and the family member actually witnessed that too which is pretty, pretty incredible. So um, I, like I said, I haven't personally seen that. Now I do talk to some of the hospice nurses. We have a hospice unit as part of our hospital where I work and they do say, Oh, it's really common to have these deathbed experiences. They haven't said much about these shared experiences, but you know, the hospice folks definitely seem to experience that. And nursing home staff seem to experience these deathbed experiences also. So is there anything that you've seen personally that rattled you? You know, something that was, it was uh, not so much rattled me, but it was a little bit kind of startling and interesting. Um, you know, the doctors run the code blue. So a code blue happens when somebody's discovered not breathing or not having a pulse, you know, they call it code blue that gets everybody to the room really fast and they bring a cart full of medicines and different devices and things like that, you know, things to, to put a tube in and things to, uh, Shock people if we got a shock and all that. So, anyways, the doctors run to Code Blue. So, I was running as Code Blue, and this person had been on dialysis and all of a sudden they lost their pulse and stopped breathing. And we had to start doing CPR. And uh, we did CPR and gave medications for about uh, 15 minutes or so. I had my back to the wall and I just all of a sudden felt this rush of like, it was a combination of wind, static electricity, and just energy kind of go. From, you know, from my, from behind me, through me, wow. towards the patient, and then about that time, the patient, we got his pulse back, and he, we got him back alive, you know, and, you know, it's easy, it, it's easy to think, well, maybe that was just like a breeze blowing, but there wasn't any events around me, and it was just a different kind of thing, it wasn't just a wind, it was like this energy, and I couldn't help to think, when you think about near-death experiences, uh, people talk about this whoosh, like they were whooshed back into their body, you know, and I'm like, I wonder if this guy's spirit just whooshed back into his body. Um, unfortunately, um, I didn't get a chance to talk to him because the hospital I work in is, a, like I said, a satellite hospital. So we kind of get him back and we send him to the big hospital for further uh, evaluation and things like that. So I never really got a chance to talk with him, but it was pretty incredible. I think, you know, it felt like his spirit rushed through me or past me back into him because right then and there is, you know, he got his pulse back and then, he slowly recover consciousness after, you know, he got his blood pressure and all that kind of stuff back. So, so that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. It sounds like pretty cool. Another interesting weird. one was, yeah. Another interesting thing happened was during a, a comfort care situation. Um, I was helping, we were helping a person pass away and the fa- we had called the family in and the family was all there and this person had been on a ventilator. So when we're on the ventilator, we do a thing called a terminal wean. Basically it means you're taking a ventilator off to let them pass so um, we had got all the family in there, started taking him off the ventilator. Got him off the ventilator, and then he ultimately passed away. Right as he passed away, it was kind of that same sensation. Like there was this, all of a sudden this cold chill in the room, and it kind of felt like this breeze was moving around the room. And you could kind of watch people's face. There was like probably like five, six people in there around the standing around the bed, and you could kind of everybody see your way, kind of do like a a second take. And I felt like it go past me. And I just kind of watched everybody else and I, it was interesting. It kind of gave you the chills and a little bit of the the creepy feeling, you know, to me, I, I'm always really skeptical, but to me, it seemed like his spirit was moving around the room and kind of, you felt this kind of energy, cold breeze kind of thing. And again, I don't think it was a ventilator. It wasn't a vent or being a ventilation problem or air conditioning or anything like that. So that was kind of interesting again, where you could just kind of feel that, that sensation, you know, and from doing the paranormal investigating, you kind of, get used to these vibes and these sensations. You kind of feel the the energy change in a room and that's kind of what this felt like this energy, but then this breeze kind of went around the room. So that was kind of interesting too, I thought. So as you're doing your own personal research
0: and and studying this stuff, where do you think consciousness exists? Is it created by the brain or is it something outside of the body or what?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I think it's something that I think our body's a shell for the consciousness. And then the consciousness comes into our bodies when we're born and then it leaves when we die. And then, you know, it seems like it's probably recycled. There's some reincarnation. Um, there's uh, several folks that have done some pretty good research in re, uh, reincarnation. In fact, you know, at uh, university of Virginia, the, the division of perceptual studies, you know, they study near death experiences, but there's a guy, uh, Dr. Grison studies near death experiences, but there's a Dr. Tucker, who does all this reincarnation of children and he studies children with previous lives. So there's pretty compelling evidence and reports of, uh, of, uh, you know, people coming, you know, of children having previous lives. They have all these amazing details. So it seems like our consciousness kind of comes into our bodies when we're born and then it leaves when we die. And it seems like some of it's recycled. I don't know if everybody's recycled or only some people come back. Um, but I think it's in our bodies, exactly in our bodies where it's hard to say, you know, is it the third eye we all talk about? You know, is it, you know, somewhere in the brain? Is it, is it in our hearts? That kind of thing. Um, but I think it's something outside of us and it comes into our bodies, whatever reason until we pass on. Now, an interesting question that came up, somebody I was talking with, um, what happens if you put your body in suspended animation? Like if you freeze your body, and you were to bring it back to life, do you get the same consciousness that you had or the same soul that you had before? You know, what happens to that soul? Does it wait forever for your body to come back? So, kind of an like interesting thought along this whole line of the body kind of being a shell for your consciousness. So,
0: yeah, it definitely would put a whole new spin on Star Trek if they beam you somewhere. Does your consciousness follow your body?
1: I know. Like, are you assigned, like, are we assigned to the body we have now, no matter what, even if it's like put in a frozen. You know, suspended animation or whatever. So
0: Yeah. there's a lot of great questions. So was there a certain event in the hospital or anything that put you on this path of being
1: so interested in the paranormal? So I pretty much, you know, all my life I've had strange things happen. Um, you want me to go back? You want me to tell you <laughs> you, want me to, you want me to go way back? <laughs> whatever you whatever you want. So all my life, I know it sounds corny, right? Mm-hmm. I've had these weird experiences. Um, My family was always really open to it. Um, My father was, he was kind of the Bigfoot UFO ghost kind of guy. My mom was a little more spiritual. She was more into like heaven and angels and things like that. So we always had our like an open forum to kind of talk about things. And we all like my dad and myself seemed to have a lot of different experiences and things like that. So I was always really open to it. And then it seems like all my life I've had weird things happen to the point where I almost feel like I'm, I'm haunted or maybe the ghosts just follow me around. Mm-hmm. But, uh, everywhere I go, it seems like there's some activity. Um, so then, you know, going, I became a doc in medical school and all that stuff and just continue to believe, you know, in it and all that stuff. And I started watching shows came out the ghost hunters, ghost adventures. And I'm like, Holy cow, you can investigate this stuff. And, uh, then I ended up moving from Ohio to Virginia where I live now. And there was a team in Virginia, that was doing investigations that were, that was really close to where I was at. So I had to join that team. I'm like, what you can, there's a team right here. So I joined this team and started the, uh, the paradigm investigating. And then, you know, I always knew about the, the near death experiences and the, and the deathbed visions, but I didn't know much. I didn't know much in probably around 2012. when I started doing all the ghost investigating around 2018. I decided to branch off and do my, this haunted MD project that I do. And, that really opened a door for me to kind of realize there's so much more than just the ghost investigating. That's when I started really reading more about the near-death experiences and thinking about the experiences that I had, um, you know, the deathbed visions, thinking about that lady I told you about and different experiences I've had. So, so I think all my life I've been open to it and now I've just really decided to pursue it, you know, more aggressively the last, you know, whatever, what's that, 10 years or so, nine, 10 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So but then I just it constantly gets reinforced, you know, with either paranormal investigating or having experiences in the hospital. You know, it's one of the cool things is I tell I talk to patients once I kind of build this relationship and and uh, they'll get to get the we'll get to know each other pretty well. And I've had situations where people have passed away and their families will reach out to me and say, "Hey, our uh, ever since so and so passed away, our lights are flickering. We're having all these." strange things happening. The birds are acting weird. And so it's really cool to kind of get this follow-up from, from patients and their families or from their families that there seems to be after death communication happening, you know, where the, you know, the loved ones are reaching out beyond the grave. So.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Have you ever had a patient that you've brought back tell you that they had a near death experience?
1: You know, no, not officially. And I haven't had a chance to really, Ask a lot of them because where I'm at now, we end up sending them out. So you don't get to do that follow up. You know, we don't get so many codes now. You know, I think when I did a lot of the code blues, um, I wasn't into it as much as I am now. So a lot of times the patients won't come forward. I got to kind of dig it out of them a little bit and kind of build a relationship. And I'll kind of say, Hey, by the way, when you were on that life support machine and they did anything, I've had patients tell me I had a, a guy who ended up having a neck injury and paralyzed and he was sick for a long time, but he had a couple of near death experiences. You know, his first one he had was um, he ended up leaving his body and, you know, having to, you know, kind of moving around the building kind of thing and seeing, you know, the, you know, seeing the bright light and all that stuff and then came back to his body. So I've had some patients that you're able to kind of get it out of them and talk with them. So Unfortunately, when I was doing a lot of the codes, like I said, I wasn't in, into it as much. I wish I could, wish I would have had opportunity. I wish I would have thought about talking to folks more about it. You know, then.
0: Yeah, I you know, I guess you could always say something like, "Man, you were gone for a while. I wonder what you were up to." Or. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Where'd you go? Well, where'd you
0: go? The problem is, you know, these
1: bring you back. Well, the tricky thing is, you got to remember: we get these people back; they're usually pretty sick. I mean, they're usually going to the ICU. Like, they usually aren't talking very much. It's very rare to get somebody to code somebody, get them back, and then they're then they're just back to living their life, right? It's like you code them. Sometimes you put a tube in. Sometimes you don't. Usually, it's it's, it's you know they can't talk to you right away about things. So, and you end up losing track. You know, as doctors, we'll shift them. You know, like if a patient codes on a floor in a hospital, you usually get them stabilized and send them to the MICU or an intensive uh, care unit, then you usually lose track of them. Cause often you'll go, you'll change services, especially, you know, we well, even now as a, as a, as a, a doctor out of training, you know, you change, you go off duty, you're on duty. So you end up losing track of folks as a resident when training, you switch every month or every couple of weeks. So sometimes you lose track of these folks. Mm-hmm. And if you don't make a active effort to kind of go back and talk to them, you just never really get that opportunity. You know, I think a lot of folks doing research, you know, out there, they're making that they're tracking these folks down and and kind of saying, hey, what happened when that happened? Mm-hmm. So I definitely be curious, that guy that I told you about, something had to happen with him. He had to he had to be out of his body because, I, uh-huh. I, you know, to me, that was something that went
0: through me into him, you know. Yeah, so. It sounds like it to me. I mean, it sounds like he went right
1: through you. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'm skeptical. I'm not like. I'm not, I'm not easy to jump on. I'm like, I got to really convince myself that something other, something paranormal happened. You know, I'm like, if I can dismiss it, I'm not going to just say everything's paranormal. So I'm really, I really got to convince myself. And that experience to me was something, something, yeah, I think his soul went back into him when we got him back. So.
0: Mm. What in your opinion has the pineal gland with anything metaphysical or spiritual, if it has anything that could, you know,
1: relate to that? So I, I think with the pineal gland, the theory is, you know, that some of the cells in the pineal gland are like the retina cells. Like this, you know, we have our retina in the back of our eyes that just how we can see colors and black and white and all that kind of thing. So some of the cells that are in the pineal gland are, they're, they're biologically similar to retinal cells. So that's kind of where we get this thought that, you know, it's the third eye our third eye or our psychic eye, you know, it's also what kind of controls our sleep cycles and stuff like that. So, and it responds to, you know, light, you know, daylight and darkness, you know, through the effects of, through the daylight coming through our eyes or the darkness coming through our eyes affects the pineal gland. Now kind of how this comes into play is the whole idea of, of, of DMT. Mm-hmm. And that, that DMT molecule supposedly is what leads to paranormal or par, you know, paranormal or spiritual experiences. The problem is with humans, they haven't been able to find it for sure in the pineal gland and other, um, other uh, animals like rodents and animals like that, they can find the DMT is actually in the, uh, is in the pineal gland. So far in humans, we haven't been able to prove that, but people still kind of feel that the pineal gland is still this, this, this uh, third eye or the center for our, our paranormal experiences and, and all that kind of thing. So that's kind of
0: where all that comes from. And I'm kind of feeling that the DMT doesn't really cause the neurodeath death experience because for one, um, when I had Dr. Van Lemmel on, he said that DMT is only in the half-life of DMT in your body is only one second. So your body metabolizes right, right. It's pretty short. it. Right, It metabolizes it very fast. And two is if you talk to people who do a, dmt recreationally they have this amazing experience but as soon as they get back they forget it most of it if not all of it right they're not spiritually trans they're not spiritually transformed and it's not something that they can't you know they can't shake it people who have ndes quite often can't shake that memory it's always with them you know what i mean it doesn't fade it's kind of the opposite of just taking the dmt
1: yeah i would agree with you i don't think I don't think the pineal gland and DMT would explain a near-death experience. You know, especially, you know, when you look at near-death experience, there's all these, you know, the 12 different phases. Hey, those 12 phases are from um, a guy named Jeffrey Long. They're -hmm. they're from this book, um, Evidence for the Afterlife by Dr. Long. He kind of came up with those 12 steps that I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the compelling things for a near-death experience being something besides like an hallucination or something produced by, you know, the drugs or lack of oxygen is like the out-of-body experience. There's a couple different things that kind of really make it seem like it's something real compared to a dreamlike state. You know, the out-of-body experience people leave their bodies and they're able to see details of things happening that they shouldn't know. Or they see things like they took my dentures out of my mouth and they put it in the, they put it in that drawer over there And they shouldn't have known that. And they go and look in there and there. There was another out-of-body experience a lady talked about. She saw the tennis shoe on the roof of the building, on like a balcony roof of the building. And there's no way she would have known that. Um, And they actually found the shoe. And she described the shoe, like the color of it, you know, how the shoelaces were and things like that. So having the out-of-body experience as part of a near-death experience, it's really hard to – dismiss those kind of things that you can, that you can collect, you know, you can find evidence for, you know, it's like, you know, and then, you know, other times people in their out-of-body experiences, they'll go, they'll hear, they'll go in the waiting room. They'll travel a lot of where their body is, go to the waiting room and hear conversations by the family or by the nurses. And they're able to tell those people that, and the people are blown away. Like, how did you know we were talking about that? Right. So, mm-hmm. so I think there's definitely something else going on with near death experiences besides just uh you know like a, a a brain chemical or lack of oxygen or dreaming or something like that so yeah
0: it's interesting to me also is when you are with a deceased body and it's an intact body you feel like okay the only thing that's missing is the spark of energy or something you know i mean yes, that, you have the yes. you have the components there it's just missing that you know spark of life or something
1: and that's a good point it's funny you mention that cuz i often think that and talk about that to other folks is you could tell something's gone. It's, 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 it's hard to put it into words, but once somebody passes, cause there's times where, you know, you're, you know, you're there or you gotta be, or you gotta come pronounce them dead anytime somebody dies in the hospital. Um, we gotta go pronounce them dead. So if we're not there at the time of death or they're pretty close, but yeah, you, there's definitely, there's some energy that's gone. And it's, to me, it seems to be more than just the blood pumping and the air breathing. You could just tell that, the person that's dead is, it's just a shell. It's just a shell. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, rec- you know, hard to scientifically record that, you know, but there definitely seems to be something like what you're saying that it's just, there's a, there's a spark or yeah. energy force. that's just gone. And this yeah. always strikes me when I got to pronounce somebody dead or when you're there, when you actually pass, yeah. But like I said, when you actually pass, sometimes you do feel that <laughs> you feel that energy go around the room. So yeah,
0: that's amazing. But, if you don't mind me asking you a personal question, do you fear death?
1: Sure. No, I don't. I don't. No. No.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's good. In fact,
1: I almost a couple of times I almost <laughs> almost died, uh, but I haven't had a, I haven't had near death experience. The closest thing I had was I got stuck underneath this raft. We were we were whitewater rafting in West Virginia, and we had gone to this place several years in a row, and we always had did the hardest parts twice in a row and it was actually on the gully the gully river in west virginia and you could do the double gu- double so it was upper middle lower gully you could do the double double upper gullies the hard so the upper gully was the worst had that, uh, the worst rapids so you do the double upper gully we had done that a bunch of times we decided to do the upper and the middle gully so you did the upper gully in the morning and in the afternoon you did the middle gully river and um we hadn't done that before and we were going down the river, so I didn't really know the rapids that well. So we hit, got to this rapid. It was a little rapid, but what it did was it made the boat twist up on its side. So the boat went up on its side. It didn't flip all the way over, but I was on the downside in the front. So I got knocked into the water, got stepped on. by people. The other people that got in the water were stepping on me, pushing me down in the water. Then I came up underneath the boat. So the boat was upright. The raft was upright. I'm underneath the boat like this. And I couldn't get out from underneath it. And all I can remember is, you know, before you get under the raft, they'll tell you, like, if you get stuck underneath the boat, just try to crawl like you're crawling on the floor. So uh, that's what I was trying to do. But it was tricky because the raft was going down the river. I'm trying to get off from underneath this and I was about to take my last breath. I, you know, and I was like, I can't, I can't get out. I can't get out from underneath this thing. So I said, you know, I don't know what to do. Do I just give up? Do I give it one more try? And Right at that time, I had this amazing sense of peace. I didn't see anything, but I had this amazing sense of peace that if I just decided to give up, that it would be okay. That death wouldn't be so bad. Wow. That I, but, you know, then I also had this feeling of I got to give it one more try. But the thing that strikes me, even as I'm telling you this now, is I almost, I can feel that, that memory is it is okay if I let go, that it's not going to be bad. But Then I gave it one more try, and I got out from underneath the boat, and they they pulled me back up there, but it was weird that the sense of peace was just like it's okay either way yeah. that it, the death is you know that if I don't if I can't make it, it's okay
0: wow that's an amazing so that was pretty experience. crazy yeah, that's an amazing experience it's, <laughs> yeah it's like a mini n d e almost
1: yeah, so needless to say, I haven't gotten rafting
0: again, <laughs> <laughs> no more rafting. When I was talking to Dr. Van Lummel, we were speaking about that you don't have to be clinically dead to have an NEE. You can be in right. like, situations that you're about to die or close right. to death or something and, and
1: that's you're you were almost there. Yeah. So that's what they call near death experience. You could either be dead for officially dead for a little bit, or you may be really close to death. Like you'll hear people tell stories like they were, you know, on their last leg and then they had an experience and you know, and then came back and you know recovered and all that stuff. But yeah, it's usually it's usually like a situation where most likely you're you're in a situation where you you're, you could die. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that extreme where you're just you know minutes away from death kind of thing. Versus, and then also you know your, people are actually dead for a short period of time. So yeah, you don't have to be clinically dead to have the near death experience. Just you can be pretty
0: close to it. Mm-hmm. All right. So after me interviewing so many people, I feel like there's generally two outcomes. I'm sure there's more and, and not everybody fits in this box that I've kind of observed, but I see that you either, once you leave your body, you go to a place that's peaceful, but black, and you may encounter someone or not, and then you come back. Or it may be an outcome that's more extreme and you leave the black place into a tunnel and go to a place of light and probably encounter beings and then come back. Those are the two outcomes I generally see. Can you add to that or can you give me what your take is on that?
1: You know, I think that's I think that's pretty good. And that's a pretty good summary. You know, the 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 books I've been looking at is some people talk about, you know, leaving the body and you know, when you talk about these 12 steps, you know, there's, you know, the leave in the body, the out of body experience, you get these amazing sensory experience, you know, you get the peace and love, everything feels, you know, amazing love and happiness, you know, then you do this, the tunnel, then the light and the beings and, and so forth and so on. Not everybody has all the, all those steps. Some people just have the out of body experience, leave their body, see their body, go back in. Some people leave their body and have the darkness, but but, but not be afraid you know, they'll hear a voice and, you know, maybe have a life review or something like that and go back. But there does kind of seem to be this, some folks go, go to a dark room where it's really quiet. Other people have these, this really vivid experience with the tunnel and the light and those kind of things. Some people just have, I left my body and came back. They didn't have any darkness. They just saw their, one of the patients I had talked to said he went out of his body, he saw what was going on. And then he was back in his body all of a sudden. So so it can be is just the out-of-body experience. It could be all the phases, it could be the darkness. The one thing to remember too is <clears throat> I'm not sure the percentage, but not all NDEs are good experiences. Some people go to a really bad place and you know have a really painful experience, you know, based on whatever, you know, had happened in their life. So I don't have the numbers on that. It's a little, I think the percentage is a lot lower for the people that have the negative near death experience. Um so But it can be a wide variety, you know, some people, you know, you know, may not have, you know, may not, or it seems like a lot of people have an out of body experience, I think it's like 74% folks that in in the one study, the near death uh, experience research foundation said about 70 some percent of people have out of body, then everything else is a little less. Um, Some people may just have the life review, some people may just hear the voice go back, Some people may see, you know, deceased loved ones and not have all the rest of the stuff. So it's kind of weird how it all kind of goes about. Mm -hmm. Um, Although the out-of-body experience seems to be fairly common Mm -hmm. um, with the near-death experiences.
0: Since you are also into haunted stuff, what is your take on spirits being out-of-bodies and not reincarnating or coming back or going on, and they're still roaming around the earth, haunting places, or what we perceive as haunting, maybe they're just hanging around. What do you think's going on there?
1: You know, that's that's tricky. It kind of comes down to the idea of, you know, you have residual hauntings, and then you have uh, intelligent hauntings or interactive hauntings. You know, the idea behind, like, a residual haunting is that's, that's a... That's where the you know something happened in a where the person passed away or whatever, and there was a, a negative energy there, and that just kind of keeps playing, it kind of imprints on the environment. It keeps playing over and over again. The same things happen where it doesn't. You can't really interact with it, and or you know it doesn't really change what it's doing. So that's kind of a residual thing that's thought to be like a like a VCR tape or a video that just keeps playing over and over again. And then the interactive ones are a little more curious because those seem to be ones that can that have an intelligence where you can, they'll do different things at different times. You can get answers from them. If you're using EV, you're looking for electronic voice phenomena, you can get answers to questions. You know, they may move things or you'll see shadows run around. Um, As far as why, why at a particular location, to me, it seems like when it comes to like intelligent, interactive hauntings, I think they could come and go. I don't think they're necessarily stuck in a location if you're talking about residual type energies it seems like those just stay in that one spot but if you if you believe that uh like an interactive intelligent haunting is is our souls is the soul of a person who's alive you know which is we think the soul and the consciousness are kind of you know are kind of the equivalent then it would tend to, it would stand to reason that the that the interactive spirits are probably the consciousness of somebody who's come into that particular location to do what they're going to do and all that things. But I think those intelligent ones are more likely to come and go and travel around. And I don't think they're stuck in a particular spot. Now it's hard to say. We never, we don't know for sure, but it seems to me that if you think that the intelligent spirits are the consciousness or the soul of a previous living person, that that's, that's that person or that consciousness must have left the body, it had a, a death experience and left and went to the afterlife, but now they're able to come back. And there's this whole idea of that some some souls or consciousness are able to cross over to the afterlife, and then some don't. Um, and the ones that do cross over to the afterlife seem like they can kind of come back and forth. Then there's the other ones that are earthly bound. Kind of things that aren't necessarily residual that, for whatever reason, don't cross over. They also seem to be interactive, and I'm not sure how to make sense of that. Um, but it seems like the the intelligent ones can kind of come and go, you know, and they're not necessarily stuck in one place. Hmm. I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts on it?
0: I agree with you that I think yeah, maybe some of them have learned to kind of that have crossed over, learned to be able to come back, and they can cross and back. I think some of them maybe. You know, obviously, this is all just guessing, speculation. But maybe some of them are in shock of being dead, and they're just confused and don't understand right. where they're at, what they're doing. And then some right. of them may have so much attachment to their family or loved ones or whatever that they choose not to go on. They still want to be with these people.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, I, maybe, I agree with that. Or maybe, maybe a that.
0: place, like maybe that's why certain places, like they, if you have a haunted hotel or whatever, maybe like you were saying other maybe they're somehow attached to this place or maybe yeah. they're they're there and don't realize they're there. I'm not really sure. Yeah, and no, I think
1: I, I agree with you too that, yeah, it seems like some people or some spirits can't move on or don't want to move on, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. And it's curious why that happens. Um, but they seem to kind of stick around. Um, so yeah, the other thing that's interesting along the same lines is, I had a, I had a patient that they were driving in a car, and and their significant other got killed in the car. And there was a car crash. Significant other got killed in a car crash, and this person survived. And we started talking about this stuff because I was curious. I'm like, did anything happen at the car crash, or do you remember any? do you remember like the person's soul, leaving their body at the time? And this person said, no, they didn't, they were really, they didn't really remember any of that. They did have a dream where the person came to them in their dream and said, Hey, I'm okay. Don't worry about me kind of thing. But what this patient asked me, he's like, well, I don't know why this person doesn't come visit me more because they were really in love and really attached. It was, you know, was, you know, they were living together and had a bright future together and, you know, they were like, well, why isn't this person come visit me? You're giving me more signs. And I said, I don't know. I said, I think, you know, they may be giving you signs and they're real subtle, or maybe there, there's other things going on that are preventing them from doing that. But then there's other stories you hear where deceased loved ones start reaching out right away. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as they passed away, you know, you know the lights are acting strange and all these other things. So it's kind of curious about what is it about one person who passes who can automatically start interacting versus somebody who who doesn't seem to give any signs of their presence so that's an interesting kind of thing too i guess probably along the same lines of the, with the you know why do some spirits why are some spirits where they're at and more interactive than others so it's a
0: curious thing to think about I don't know my only guess would be is you know from some of the experiences that I that I hear people tell me the place is so amazing and there's so much love there so much immeasurable love and and there's so love that yeah. you you can't compare it to here and they don't they lose all interest of here and so right, you know, right. that's a good you what can you tell the person that, you know hey I'm sorry that the, the place is too amazing over there
1: you know I don't yeah it well it's like it's like with near death experiences, you know, people have these amazing experiences of, you know, the, um, you know, the amazing love, your senses are heightened. You know, you can, you see like you never see, you hear like you never hear, you feel like you never feel, you know, you may see your deceased loved ones that a lot of folks get mad that they had to come back to their bodies. Cause you know, with the near death experiences, there seems to be a thing, you know, you either get to a boundary or a barrier, or somebody tells you you need to go back or you got to make a decision you know, so you either get a voluntary or an involuntary chance to go back, mm-hmm. and a lot of folks go back and they're like, I'm, "I was mad, I didn't want to come back." So you might, you may be right that even though this person loved the other person so much, they're so happy where they're at right now that it doesn't, they don't really think about coming back to visit. Yeah. So I ended up telling this person, I said, I said, you just never know. I said, sometimes it takes time, and I'm sure just you know, if you pay attention you know you'll see things and sometimes they're subtle i talked to different folks that have had you know they call it after death communication with the birds and the coins and the mm. electronics and all that kind of stuff that sometimes it's really subtle sometimes for whatever reason it might be a little things you don't think about that, that that person's reaching out from beyond to to give you a sign so but
0: what about near death experiences inspires you the most
1: i think it's amazing that it happens And I think if you truly believe that it's happening, then that's your answer, that there's an afterlife, that there's something beyond us. I think the thing with near-death experiences too is that there's so much evidence that's building up and so much research being done that it's really hard to deny anymore unless you're just going to be a really hardcore skeptic and just say, you know, no way. Um, I think it's, you know, something that you can kind of wrap your head around and you can kind of get, you know, story after story after story, and you can characterize all the different steps of the near-death experience. It's something that you can really, you know, kind of grasp versus, you know, just seeing a ghost or, you know, hearing noises or something like that. I think that the, the reproducibility of what what happens and the people's stories are pretty compelling, you know, and now more than ever before, there's so much research out there from different people, like even the University of Virginia Department of Perceptual Studies, Dr. Bruce Grison, they've done a ton of research you know, on, on these. And it all goes, and the interesting thing is all these folks that are researching around the world, you know, you know, in the United States and, you know, you know, around the, around the world, they're getting similar data, you know? So when you start putting all these studies together, it's kind of hard to deny that there isn't something going on. Um, so I think for me, that's, it's, as a, as a science-based guy, when you can say, Hey, here's a research, here's a study, study after study saying that these things are happening and you're, it really can't be, you really can't account for them by natural reasons like lack of oxygen or it's just a dream or it's the medications or something else going on. I think the other thing interesting about near-death experiences is, you know, like the you can verify some of this stuff, like out-of-body experiences. People come back with information that they shouldn't have. Um, you know, when you look at different age groups, kids, you know, young kids, you know, older kids, young adults, older adults, everybody's having the same experience. When you look across cultures and religions, no matter what culture or religion, you're, they're having the same kind of similar experiences. So I think you really got to stop and look and say, hey, something's going on here. It's not just, you know, some mumbo jumbo happening, or it's not just the brain chemistry when we die. Um, so I think that's pretty compelling to me. What's the most compelling
0: research that you've seen about it?
1: I think this book I was reading that I keep showing you, this evidence of... Uh, the Afterlife by uh, Jeff Young. He has. There's a website called the Near Death Experience Research Foundation, NDEFR, and you can actually submit your near death experiences there. But they also do research off of that, mm-hmm. so they've done the like most uh, intense uh, research on it. I think they looked at like something like 1,300 cases and all that. Um, so that's when you look go through this book and look through the way they put it together, and you know they concluded that there's nine uh, data point or nine sets of data based on their research from gathering all these studies that are pretty compelling. You know, the other thing that's interesting with near death experiences is that blind people, people that have never seen all their life will have out of body experiences and and they can see, and they don't know what to do. They're like, Oh my God, I can see now. So I think there's like, you know, that's one of the points of evidence is that, you know, people that are blind are having these out of body experiences and seeing things. The kids are seeing it, you know, there's an out of body experience that can be verified. Um, you know when you when you're out of your body or you're having this your consciousness and your awakeness if you will is much more pronounced than when you're alive so you know if you, if it's a effect of dying usually when somebody's got low oxygen or they're actively dying they're really confused and disoriented and things like that you know so the fact that their consciousness is even more pronounced than when they're alive is pretty compelling so but the, the research to check out is this near-death uh, experience. Uh, research foundation study by Jeff Long. And I know uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson has a book out called Wake. I think it's a Wake or Wake. Uh, It's another good book about, and there's actually some other books too, Raymond Mooney, (laughs) Life After Life. And then there's another uh, Handbook of Near-Death Experiences is a a compilation of a bunch of things. So those are the books I use right now and and, uh, a lot of compelling evidence out there for it. I think it's real.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, I'm, what is your percentage of certainty that it's real for you personally? If you can, if you can get Well, I think of that anything way.
1: paranormal, I always get a little bit of doubt, right? Yeah, sure. But I'd say 99, 99%, 99.9%. 99.
0: Right. That's great. I mean, I asked Dr. Van Lemel basically the same question, and I think he said, you know, we can't prove it but uh, I wish I could remember the exact words. I need to look that I need to go back to my own podcast and remember and look what he said, but it was something like, you know, we can't right. prove it, but it's beyond reasonable, a doubt that it it's happening.
1: Yes. 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 And that's a tricky thing. Cause I mean, if I put my skeptical hat on, right. If I'm going to come at it from a hardcore science base, I mean, it's hard to exclude completely that the, you know, it's not the, The you know some kind of catecholamine rush or adrenaline rush and and it's it's hard to say well why isn't this the the body's last chance to kind of stop death from happening and that's because you're getting this rush of hormones and things that's why you're having these amazing experiences you know so you know so you could as a skeptic you could sit back and say that but I think when you look at the stories and and the and and, you know the things that can be verified that people should know and and you know, how they're similar across the world and all those things. I think it's hard to dismiss it, but yeah, you could, it's one of those things. There's just enough room that people can have doubt, you know, about it, but, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: Do you talk about this at work at all? Or is this something that you don't mention? Yeah. Oh yeah. Parents?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, we talk about, yeah, actually uh all the paranormal stuff. A lot of my colleagues mm-hmm. will come up to me and they'll talk about even the, the ghost stuff. You know, we'll talk about the, the haunted stuff, and because uh, they they think it's interesting. Now, a lot of folks, I don't think, are open as I am about it. But I have everybody comes to me. Even people I'm surprised that seem like they're pretty, pretty hardcore medical scientific. They'll come up to me and be like, "Hey, I got the story, man." You know, and I've heard I've heard about near death experiences family members have had. I've heard about ghost experiences. Um, so yeah, I hear yeah, I've heard a mix of different things.
0: Dr. Van Lemmel said something like, and I gosh, again, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but he was basically saying that a lot of colleagues are interested or maybe even believe it, but they won't say it publicly because they're worried about funding.
1: Right, 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 right. So yeah, it depends what arena you're in. For me, yeah. I'm just all clinical. Right. So I just do, I'm just, I just take care of patients. I'm not doing uh, research stuff, but yeah, if you're I can see where that can be a problem if you're if you need to get funding for um, you know your projects and things like that. You know, if you're doing academic research and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Even if you're gonna even if you're gonna do um, academic research and parapsychology like what they're doing, like Dr. Greison and Dr. Tucker, you know, you get it's hard to find the funding for it. In fact, I know with UVA, they kind of keep it under it's not real well known that they have a, a parapsychology program. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it still kinda has a lot of, you know it, people worry about them, what kind of press they'll get from that kind of thing. But yeah, it could potentially, you know, if you're like, you know, talk about it a lot, they could, I guess, potentially make people question your, you know, how scientific are you and all that kind of thing. So, although I don't know, you know, when I think about that, I don't see, I don't know, if you're doing research, like, like say blood pressure and you want to get funding, I don't know if you're in, if you're into near-death experience, I don't know how much that would necessarily hurt you. Yeah. I guess it just depends where you're at. You know, some, I think some institutions and, and programs are probably more open to it. You know, probably, you know, there's university-based, probably places that have parapsychology programs are going to be less worried about that versus, you know, some place that has, that are pretty hardcore science and don't really buy into all that stuff. Hmm. You know, so, but for me, I'm lucky. I just do clinical. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Although kidding. I'll tell you,
0: uh-huh.
1: I'm interested in doing a project with some hospice patients. I've been thinking about it for a while now. I'm just, I've been a little gun shy partly because I don't want people to think I'm crazy, crazy, crazy. But uh, I'd like to be present more like on a, a hospice unit when people are passing away and just see if I could document the energy leaving the body with different equipment and things like that, or even just a camera. And, you know, cause we, where I work now, we have an inpatient hospice unit. So I've been, every time I work, I'm like, I'm going to go talk to them and I kind of check it out. I don't know why I check it out because I believe in what I do and I believe in, you know, the paranormal, parapsychology and you know all that, but you still worry about how's it going to come across. <laughs> if I walk over there and say, Hey, uh, can I do a study? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't um, know. What, yeah. And you have to, who, who knows what management's going to think about
1: that. Well, that's the other problem yeah. too. Yeah. And HIPAA so,
0: laws. and oh, you know.
1: Yeah. There's got to be a lot of control. I think that's one of the things that kind of makes me stop short Yeah, well, uh, of okay. it. But, You never know, man. You might see, you might
0: see me do a a, a (laughs) write-up. I think it's amazing. I thought I've heard somebody that tried to do some type of research about that when passing, doing some kind of either measuring the weight of the body and saying when someone passes, you know, it drops a few grams or something or something along those lines. Yeah, there was a
1: guy who did that. There was a doc who did that back in the early 1900s or late 1800s, but the study wasn't very good. But there were the EK colluded that the soul was weighed twenty one grams, but I think he used like nine. He measured nine people that have, that passed before and after. But his the way he did it wasn't very well done. But yeah, it'd be interesting to re, kind of repeat that study and see, and or some some way to either measure that or, you know, even just have you know be able to. Have a camera present and maybe some of the equipment we use when we paranormal investigate to kind of see if you can detect—is mm-hmm. it detect any energy leaving the body, kind of thing?
0: I was thinking this earlier when we were talking about this. I just wanted to throw this out there, and if you knew that or not, when we were talking about relationships, and one of my guests that have uh, does near-death experience research told me that the divorce rate, I think, is around fifty-one percent of near-death experiencers after they come back. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: The research I've been reading is that people that have been so, you know, so a near-death experience really seems to change people for the most part. They come back, you know, with a whole new outlook in life and a more kind of positive and you know, and they don't fear death. Actually, interestingly, a lot of folks come back and have psychic abilities or or paranormal abilities, you know, things they didn't have before like, you know, able to predict stuff or, you know, psychic type things. Um, But the other thing is it seems to affect people in a way that it changes their life. So what they see is that people who are willing to put up with abusive relationships or bad relationships are like, I'm not going to do that anymore because I realize there's so much more to life and there's so much better things out there that I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not going to continue to stay in this relationship. So, and then they end up trying to find relationships that are better for them. So I could see that the divorce rate would creep up if you've been hanging out there in a bad relationship and you realize that there's so much better. But, yeah, the research that, I, that I've been reading, too, says that people are more likely to leave bad relationships mm-hmm. than to stay with it if they wouldn't have had their uh, near-death experience because they realize that there's so much love and so much, you know, goodness out there and that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: I would agree with that. I guess I would maybe add that some of them may come back and they've experienced so much love that maybe they'd be thinking, "Wow, you know, I don't think my spouse loves me like the love I felt over there." Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and actually, when you (laughs) right in in, in a lot of near-death experiences, love is one of the biggest things that comes through. People are like this all-encompassing love, you know. So that's you know, love and peace and. Mm You know, every, we're all the same. There's this, you know, commonness among everybody. And I was, so, yeah. I've, I've, yeah, people come back and they're like, I'm tired of this really, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to stay in this bad relationship anymore.
0: I was wondering this before, is that when you leave your body, is the reason that you experience so much happiness? It's like that you lose this kind of maybe and or peace is you lose like the psychochemical reactions of the body on the mind.
1: It does. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you're if you're you know if you're in a lot of pain or you're you know or having different uh, physical ailments or disease processes. I mean, it does affect your. Your, you know, your attitude and your way you think about things, um, you know, people, especially people with chronic pain, they're miserable all the time, you know, and it just becomes part of your, your, your uh, attitude and I guess your, you know, who you are spiritually. So it seems like, yeah, once you, once your essence or your consciousness leaves your body where all that pain is, it seems like, yeah, you would be happier and not, not feeling all that, that yuckiness. Um so yeah, I think that's 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 a possibility. I guess the other thing is that you know, a lot of people with near-death experiences report is, you know, just that they experience God or a supreme being, and that supreme being emanates this or radiates this love, and that's where all that comes from too, this love and positive energy and and all that. So it may be a combination of it's it's out there for the for us to experience once we're out of our bodies. But I also think it's not it's not unreasonable to think that our bodies also cause us to feel (laughs) to feel unhappy or to feel you know stressed out and things like that. So I think it's a good it's a good thought. I was even thinking even subtle things
0: like for example how just different things like you know how caffeine reacts on your body and can you know some people will say caffeine can cause anxiety just too much caffeine or. How, oh, alcohol, yeah, how, how alcohol affects your body and how that affects you psychologically. So maybe you're dropping all these other biochemical responses on the psyche or the consciousness.
1: Yeah. It's actually interesting when you think about it, because when you think about like little kids who haven't been exposed to all that, all this stuff, like they're so happy for the most part, you know, you know, when they're healthy and all that stuff, mm-hmm. so happy and they get that sparkle in their eye, you know, it's, maybe that's what the closest we can get to what our consciousness is, you know, when we're not in our bodies is just that happy and joy of a kid who is not under the stress and not tobacco or not having the, the caffeine stuff and all that. You know, the thing with caffeine and alcohol, too, is, is besides just the effects of the the substances is, is the, you know, if you don't keep the caffeine in, you get caffeine withdrawal. Yeah. So that can be pretty bad. You start getting bad headaches or feeling yucky. If you you know, if you drink all the time and stop drinking, you get withdrawal. So, you, you know, so you, not only is it just the substance while it's in you, but also if you start getting withdrawal from it. So, but yeah, when you think about little babies who are kids that are so just, I always think about these little kids are so happy to run around full of energy that maybe that's that's a look at what our consciousness is when we're out of our bodies, you know, once we pass away or whatever. So, yeah, I I always used to talk on my Haunted MD page that as physicians and healthcare providers, we're kind of on both ends of the spectrum of the afterlife and even what I call the before life. Because, you know, when you're coming into the road, you're born in. So, you, you know, if you're thinking, well, the soul leaves when we die, it has to come in when we're born. So, so you feel like, you know, when you're, when you're delivering babies and that kind of thing, you're at the, the beginning of the soul, the consciousness. And then when somebody passes away or has a near death experience, you're witnessing that kind of end game kind of thing. So, so,
0: so are you thinking that, that, that the soul, the spirit is not there during pregnancy? It's at birth.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it's hard to say. I know when, when they're born there, I mean, you know, or it's hard to say when the soul comes into you know, a, a, you know, baby. whether it's, you know, when they're physically out of the body or whether it's still in birth, that's hard to say for sure. At some point, though, I feel like as doctors, we're there when it's, you know, when life starts, and then we're there when it ends. So I feel like we're kind of there when the soul is born into the world, and then when it leaves the world. So yeah, I don't know either. I would just, you know,
0: I was just curious. I feel yeah. like it may be there, maybe at least at the end stages of pregnancy, but I could be, you know, yeah. none of us really know. Unless, you know. Yeah, that's uh, a tricky question, man. we could figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> You'd so- you would solve this whole abortion deal if you could figure that out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, well, I need yeah. to switch gears with you because I'm running out of time and I found you on YouTube. And I want to let everybody know about your YouTube channel. So what is that?
1: So my YouTube channel is, uh, it's Don Molnar HauntedMD. So that's my YouTube channel. And um, and then I have, you want me to tell the other ones that I have too? Yeah, I was going to
0: say, if you have a website or a Facebook page or Instagram or anything else that you connect with people on.
1: Yeah. Yes, I don't have a website right now, but I have a Facebook page. It's um, Haunted MD. Um, and it's uh, open to everybody, and that's was kind of my where I started with my whole where I branched off and decided to do all these other things that I'm doing now with the parapsychology and the and the paranormal investigating. So that's Haunted MD on Facebook. That's my primary page, and then then I put stuff on YouTube. And then recently, in the last year or so, I started Instagram. So my Instagram is Haunted. I think it's small. It's small H A U N T E D. Then a little line underneath it, then MD. So, Haunted MD on Instagram. Um, Yeah, I don't have a webpage yet. I started building it. I just got to finish building it. Um,
0: So, Mm -hmm. what are your future plans? What are your future plans with all this
1: paranormal activity you're into? I want to try one of the things I like to try to do on on the paranormal investigating side of things is see if there's a way to kind of validate some of the equipment we use. You know, all this equipment we use for paranormal investigating has never really been officially proven to detect spirit energies. So somehow i like to come up with an idea where I can test that equipment in a, in a, in a setting where I could try to prove or disprove if we're picking up on spirit energy or not. So that's something I was working on. Like I mentioned about that study, working with hospice patients, if I could ever, you know, pursue that. Um, I am thinking about writing a book on MD book. I started writing that and, um, needed to kind of work on that some more. Um, I think, you know, after kind of doing this talk with you and then doing more research on near-death experiences, I think I'm going to be a little more proactive with the patients that I have just kind of saying, Hey, did anything happen? And try to, you know, hear some of their stories and kind of see what they've been through. Some of the folks we get where I work, they've been really sick and there's some of them are still on ventilators and Mm -hmm. they've been to the death's door. Like some of them, they've been on essentially cardio lung, cardiopulmonary bypass to keep them alive. So they've been, as close to death as you can get without dying. So try to be a little more open, maybe talk, talking with folks at work and um, kind of just see where it goes, man. I keep doing some paranormal investigating. Eventually, it'd be nice to kind of bring together this the ghost hunting world with a near-death academic world mm-hmm. and kind of see if we can kind of bring that together more.
0: Before I got into doing a lot of the NDE stuff on my podcast, I had all types of guests and I was just kind of doing everything. And I, one of my guests was an author that wrote 20 something books. And I guess he, maybe perhaps I think he was trying to inspire me to write a book, but he said, if you just spend 15 minutes a day writing in 15 minutes, you can come up with 500 words. And like in a month, that's all it is. He said 15 minutes a day. And I don't know what it was. In a month, you'll have a book or something. It's kind of what he told me.
1: It is is easy to do that when you think about it. So in in, in idealistically, yeah, but in reality, it seems hard to do that. I actually had a pretty good start. I got a pretty good start and I kind of petered out on it. But um, I was reading this one book recently about how to write a book. And she made a point that If you look at all the stuff you put out on Facebook or YouTube, you probably have a book right there if you organize it. And I think about all the posts I do on my 100MD on Facebook. You know, I post all types of different things, you know, about parapsychology and paranormal. But she made a good point that we put so much out there already, especially if you're doing a podcast. You know, you got so much information out there, you could easily turn it into a book if you just, you know, if you worked at it. who, Who was that guy? Was it Richard Estep?
0: No, um, I'd have to go through my podcast and look back on it. Oh, it's um, I I'll look through if you like, and I'll and I'll I'll email you who he was. I can't, I just can't remember off the top of my head. I'm at your number. Gosh, you're probably number one forty something, and he's probably oh wow, back good in the, for you. Thank you. Yeah, and he's probably back in the 30s or 40s. I'm guessing somewhere between 20 and 40. And he and he writes. I know, the, I'm Rich. He writes mystery. Richard Estep, I know he writes a ton of books. Yeah, I don't know him. Mean, he this guy writes e- mystery books. Oh, okay. And uh, that we were just you know, like I said, I was interviewing all kinds of people, and um, that's what we were talking about.
1: There's some cool near-death experience on stories out there, okay? I'll tell you just real fast. Mm-hmm. So this one is actually from Dr. Bruce Gryson, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of paraphrasing and make it really short. It was there was this patient in the hospital? He had a nurse that was taking care of him. The nurse ended up leaving and she was happy because she had a new car, and was going to go on vacation. She left, goes off duty. She leaves, goes off duty. For some reason, he ended up coding and dying temporarily, has a near-death experience. In his near-death experience, he sees the nurse and he, he's like, What are you doing here? She's like, I think I crashed my car. I wow. think I crashed my car. Can you tell? my parents said, I'm, I'm really sorry. And he, they bring him back to life. Right. So he comes back to life. He tells his story and here he finds out that the nurse really did crash her car and she really had died. And she actually came to him in his near death experience. Isn't that crazy? That's That's some crazy stuff right there. That is amazing. I know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, that just popped in my head.
0: That's a great one. So um, do you have anything that
1: you're working on that you want us to know about? Um, I I think like I mentioned, I hope to, you know, get a, you know, work on the book, um, maybe see about talking with the hospice folks, if they would be open to letting me do some kind of research like that. Um, Otherwise I just uh, do some more podcasts in later in the month or later in the next couple of months. And then I'm going to do some investigations as a COVID it's tough right now to investigate with COVID and all that, especially being a physician. It just, I hate to be too out there because it, you know, yeah. <laughs> looks bad. Nice. Although I got my vaccine, I got my vaccination and all that. I'm vaccinated right? and all that kind of stuff. But, um, so yeah, hopefully as, as COVID gets better, we can start doing more investigations and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. So. You know, in your bio,
0: it says that you'd been on TV and on one of the haunted shows for the travel channel. Are you,
1: are you going to be on TV anymore? I think if the opportunity came up, I would, I would do those. Um, nothing for sure right now. Um the show I did was Haunted Hospitals on Travel Channel and um basically they were they were looking for stories from healthcare professionals, you know, either in hospitals or nursing homes or some kind of healthcare setting. So I submitted my story and they and they liked it. Um so they recorded I went in interview, so they'd interview you and then they reenact it. So they have a reenactor kind of do the reenactment. So I think mine was uh I think mine was season twelve, haunted hospitals seat or I'm sorry. Haunted Hospital Season 2, Episode 12, like the last 15 minutes of it or so. And um, I basically shared some stories I had, you know, as a doc in the the hospital. Um, And then they do reenactments of that. So they show little clips of me. Then they show a reenactment with actors and all that stuff. And then back and forth like that. Now, I had got, um, they had reached out to me about doing Haunted Hospitals 3. But that was like with the COVID and all that stuff. So um, it ended up being a shorter season. So I never did any of that. So um, I'm not sure if they would want more stories, I could potentially do that again. Mm-hmm. There's nothing definite though mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's a little tricky with the television. It's cool to be on TV, but I just got to be careful about mentioning where I work because it's a sensitive topic. Right. <laughs> the hospital, the hospital where I work and the health system doesn't want negative publicity. So yeah. um, i got to make sure I don't, that, that's not an issue. So it gets to be a little tricky right? Um, with that. Wow. Well.
0: It makes all sense. All right. Before we wrap it up here, I wonder if you can give one last message to people because, you know, there's a lot of people that are, it's tough times with the COVID. There's a lot of depression out there, unhappiness. People are losing loved ones. And I think that's what are making quite a few people watch this podcast. So if there's anything inspirational you can give about NDEs and death in general, I think we'd all appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I believe there's an afterlife when you look at these near death experiences, I think there is an afterlife and it seems to be a very happy, warm, inviting place. I think our relatives or deceased loved ones are waiting for us on the other side over there. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to realize if you lost loved ones that I think they're, you know, in a, in a good place and, you know, they're probably with you. I tell people all the time, you know, that have lost somebody that, you know, I think they're still with you. They're still visiting. They may not, it may not be obvious or sometimes it may be more obvious, but I think they're with us and they watch over us and, and all those kind of things. So I think there is, and then, an, you know, f- from the, the near death experience side of things, I I think for sure that supports an afterlife for my ghost investigating and my paranormal, there seems to be, you know, s- spirits or souls wandering here. You know, I've caught, I've, caught really good pieces of evidence, audio evidence and things on different cameras. And I've never caught a full body aberration, but from a, from a paranormal investigating standpoint, I believe there's paranormal stuff out there. It's hard to explain, you know, from a religious standpoint, but if you believe, you know, near death experiences, a soul leaves the body or when we die, we leave the body. It makes sense. It kind of comes back around and wanders around. So I think from a scientific doctor standpoint, looking at near death experiences, there's an afterlife. I think as a paranormal investigator, I've caught some pretty solid evidence that, you know, spirits exist. So if it's, I think if it helps people to realize their loved ones are still with them and they're most likely in a better place. And, you know, when it comes to COVID, I think we got to stay strong, you know, you know, this is not political, but, you know, wear your mask, social distance, get the vaccine. You know, it's, it's a real thing out there. I think it's going to start getting better and hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be in a better, a lot better spot but I think we got to take it, you know, take it seriously and keep trying to do the right thing as much as possible.
0: Mm. Yeah. Thank
1: you. And I'll say, you know, from the COVID standpoint, I think it's, if you're not in healthcare, I think it's hard to kind of appreciate the, how devastating it is. You know, we, I end up taking care of people after COVID who are COVID negative, but they're still on the ventilator, still on dialysis, you know, so it's devastating. You really don't want to, you really don't want to get that sick with this, with this, Illness. So it's real and it's, it's devastating and it's hard in the families too, because they can't see their loved ones as much as they would like. And, you know, and so it's just try to do the right thing and realize that if you have lost loved ones, I think they're still with us and they're in a better place.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that, Dr. Molnar. And I enjoyed having you on my podcast. Maybe we'll get you back because we really didn't go over all the 12 steps or the 12 things of near-death experiences. Yeah, Sure but I enjoyed having you. And if I lived near you and, and you were in private practice, I would love to have you as my own personal physician. Cause I think you're great.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, thanks again. And, um, I wish you the best. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'll be glad to have come on anytime you want. So. All right. Great. Thanks again. And have a great evening. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.